Good evening. Oh, everyone can be seated. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're going to have to stay like that for 30 minutes. It's the only way you'll listen. All right. Well, good evening. Um, it is great for everyone to be back in the semester. I'm so excited that we get to begin again. And as I was reflecting on this past semester, um, I couldn't help but think this past semester was a large um, expression of an event that happened, and I can't believe this is the only story I can think of to demonstrate this point, but whatever, uh, within my own, whenever I was at, in college. So at my second year at LSU, I had uh, two roommates um, who were state champion wrestlers, one a two-time state champion wrestler, at Jesuit. A third honorary roommate, a man who uh, would just sleep at the house for four nights a week and on the couch. And he was also a state champion wrestler. And so anytime that I like picked on them or did anything, they knew my weakness and that I was one is that I, they could all overpower me, but two, that I was like deathly ticklish. And so it got to be where I was so helpless that I would just, I would just submit and then, you know, tickle, get tickled until I would cry or pee my pants. And this is not an exaggeration, but, <laughs> but it is an abysmal feeling of helplessness. And uh, I think that this past semester was very much like that. It's like you had coronavirus, like, okay, well, you know, Assigned to wisdom, feeling like, you know, this is going to be great. Okay, like we have less than half of the people that we with them. Um, we start getting a little bit of, of steam, and then, okay, a, a hurricane comes and passes by. All right, and then we get another little bit of steam, a hurricane comes and passes by again. All right, now, well, COVID, we got to cancel uh, student events. Okay, well, all right, now COVID's happening again, we got to cancel student events again. At some point, it just kind of wears you down and this feeling of utter helplessness comes about where you're just like, well, I'm just gonna be indifferent and wait for this to subside because there is nothing I can do. Whenever that attitude is set in, I think we've all experienced the same thing. It's like, why even try? What's the action? And I can't help but wonder, you know, somebody uh, actually at lunch said today, when is, I just can't wait for it to go back to normal. Just thought like, when has it ever been normal? It's never been normal. And there's no reason to think that it will be normal again. Or to be once we once thought how the world was. It's just not going to be. And so, if we can't get a grip on our lives, and it seems like in the world we just can't, then how do we? It seems like the ability to conquer the world is getting further and further away from us. That we're losing power, we're losing gri a grip on our lives. We're losing power politically, as evidenced by the last couple of weeks. We've lost power socially, and that we can't even you know, get next to each other without a mask. We can't breathe on each other like the old days, you know, the good old days. Um, and economically, just people who have lost their jobs, right? Or maybe closing job opportunities. Maybe for some of you who are studying for certain majors, and it's like, well, I'm not going to be successful with that anymore. 
the question then comes is what are what is our goal and what can we do what i want to title this talk is no longer conquering through the world but conquering by faith we heard as an uh, we heard in a daily reading last week uh, i believe it was last thursday from the first letter of saint john Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's very profound, but it's very simple. Who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That we conquer the world, as St. John says, by our faith. And it's simple because, in those profound, it's simple because we know that Jesus Christ has conquered the world. And that if we believe that he's conquered the world, then we do it with him. But that remains an empty platitude. It doesn't really mean anything unless we kind of break down what um, what I think that action of faith looks like. Conquering the world through faith. Getting a grip back on our life. Especially whenever things are so unpredictable. And so what I want to provide is just three steps. And so you remember it. We're going we're gonna to rip it. We're going to rip it. Repentance, intentionality, and plan. Repentance, intentionality, and plan. We're, go- we're going to rip it. That's, that's going to be a bad dad joke for all semester. And um, so I just want to break this down first with repentance. Repentance. And not repentance in the sense of sorrow for sin, although that's going to be part of it. But repentance, as the word means, um, literally in the Greek scriptures, metanoia, which means to, to turn or to change one's mind, to change one's mind. We heard uh, last Sunday in the Epiphany, and if you read the 6 p.m. Mass, you heard me speak about this a little bit, but about the changing of the mind of the Magi and how these Magi go and they want to follow, they follow this star and go to King Herod. Well, once they arrive at King Herod, this is what happens. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard that the king went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, these are three kings, right? Three magi. And so when they see Herod, what do they probably think? This man is a king. 
This man has earthly power, probably more earthly power than we do. We can negotiate with this man. If we come back and tell Herod where this, where this man Jesus is, then we'll have some bargaining chips, perhaps. We'll get in. And so they're thinking probably in terms of worldly power. But whenever they come and are confronted with Jesus, with the child Jesus, then they cannot help but fall down and worship. And that night, in a dream, God is working on them to where their hearts are strengthened and their minds are changed. So that whenever they return, they do not go back to Herod. They go back to their own home. They go back to their home and they probably speak of Jesus being king. But it's interesting because there's nothing that's really radical. There's nothing that's really like piercing. You don't hear about how these magi need to shame themselves or anything like that. But what happens is that they change their mind. They change their whole way of thinking. And it changes the road in which they take. We can very easily look at our college career and say, this is not what I wanted. Like, I wanted to be in a booming sorority or in a booming fraternity. I want to meet all these people. I want to gather all these experiences. You know, I wanted to soak up the pleasure like a sponge so that I can reflect back on my college days and say, huh, those were the good old days. But perhaps that's not what God wants. Perhaps God doesn't just want us to have a multitude of different experiences. Perhaps God closed that door. He closed that road to earthly power and having a grip in our lives in that way. And he's opened a road back home to where he is in the same way for the Magi, right? That God wants us rather to be so locked in on this pivotal time where for the first time we're probably away from our parents. We are uh, free to have this community. I mean, like it's so hard just in, in general, just so hard to meet new people after college. To where now I can have a real experience of the church so that I can actually grow in holiness now where it's going to be almost impossible to start that journey alone out of college. College is such a fertile ground to be able to experience the church and to experience Jesus Christ. So that we're not limited to just saying, oh, those were the good old days and now I'm stuck just working nine to five, like doing what I can. But if we're experiencing the church now, then we'll be able to experience the church in eternity as well. But a couple of things about this repentance as well. Not only changing one's mind, but that the mind cannot be changed unless the heart is strengthened. We cannot change our mind to value the things of God unless our hearts are strengthened. It's only after they worship the child Jesus that they're able to change. And they worship him by opening up their treasures to them. That's what the, the Gospel of Matthew says. They open up their treasures to Jesus. And what are their treasures? Gold, which befits a king. Frankincense, which befits a priest. And myrrh, which befits someone who is about to die. And their treasures, and the treasures that we all hold, are gold, our desire to be king, Frankincense, our desire to save ourselves as a priest saves, and myrrh, our very lives. 
So they open those treasures and they give them to Jesus. And only once they give out their desire to rule over their own life, the desire for worldly power, that desire for to, to save and redeem ourselves, to say, yeah, I'm a self-made man. I did it myself. And of our very lives, then they're able to discern and move rightly where God wants them to go. If we try to repent by just hating our own sins or just wanting a better life, it will always be fleeting and it will fail very quickly. We need to be able to worship the Eucharistic Lord and so be strengthened. You know, it's not as if. And the thing is about worship is that it trains our heart to love the things of God. I mentioned this at 6 o'clock. I'm gonna, if I reuse the joke at, at Mass today, I'm going to reuse this one. But it's not like Jesus' first words were to the Magi. Like, he, like Jesus was like, goo goo gaga, the, don't go back to Herod, you know, goo goo gaga. Like, it wasn't that clear, right? Like, like, God doesn't come to us and, like, we don't just kneel before him and God just starts, like, talking like he's on Walton and Johnson or something. Like, he's just on the radio. Like, he's just, he's just telling us everything. Um, I'm not saying that Walton Johnson. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, but what happens is that our, our hearts become ordered around the one good that's truly stable, God himself, who is goodness himself. And so then wisdom starts to set in, and we are able to make those decisions that, um, that the Magi are able to. But the next thing about repentance and moving forward after repentance is intentionality. Intentionality. I think we all go to pray and we all have certain platitudes, certain general things that we want. I want to be holy. I want to know peace. I want to know joy. I want to feel forgiveness. Things like that. We all have these general things that we desire, but then once an obstacle comes, how do we adjust? And so the question is, do we have intentionality? Whenever last semester of the shuts down, shutdowns happened, it was really hard to think, okay, how do we go forward with our events? Like, how do we creatively maneuver this way and that way? And maybe in some aspects we did fine, and others we just said, we just threw it off on the passive will of God. Well, if, if God allows it, then it must happen. God apparently allows a lot of things, but still human action are called for, right? Like, because God allows for people to go hungry doesn't mean that they shouldn't be fed. And so it can be very easy for us to say that during the semester. Well, you know, I didn't know that the test was happening, so... No reason to like start studying now. I guess if God wants it, then he's going to allow it to happen. No, you're the one who had the test. <laughs> God doesn't take in and take over, like, give me that number two pencil and, you know, fill out. Nobody even does scantrons anymore, but you get the point. Um, but intentionality is very important. And I want to give an example of, of what I'm talking about and how to adjust. In World War II, D-Day, whenever uh, the, the beach was stormed at Normandy, Eisenhower sent all these troops to go. And after, like, the Normandy was stormed, it was one of the most violent battles. Then what occurred 
was one of the most intimidating things that you could experience if you were fighting the German army. And that was called the Blitzkrieg. The Blitzkrieg was like the token German tactic to overcome these countries. I mean, this is how like France and Poland was overcome, is that the Germans would launch a Blitzkrieg. And the idea is that if, if you're already weak, then it makes you just collapse because of how intimidating it is. They would take these tanks, uh, these, these German panzers, and they would stack them on each other. And they go through, and you just see these columns of tanks over and over and over again. And so what France and Poland do is that they just, they just capitulate. They're like, we're not fighting this. This is overwhelming. They would just intimidate them to, to surrender. And so whenever the American troops see this blitzkrieg coming, Eisenhower says, this is what we'll do. We'll make their strength their weakness. They go on the side of the Blitzkrieg and behind it so that once they reach the beachhead, they have nowhere to go. And now the Americans are attacking them from the side and from behind the Blitzkrieg. And so now, not only have they not died, but they've taken out like so many of their, uh, a large uh, portion of the German soldiers because they were just so aggressive. Whenever these obstacles happen, similarly to the Blitzkrieg, we can't just be immediately overwhelmed with, oh, like classes are canceled, or student events are canceled again, or, oh, I'm quarantined, oh, I've got COVID, oh, this is happening in the world politically, oh, this is happening, happening, whatever, whatever level. We can't just be overwhelmed with the obstacle. That's exactly what the devil wants. But we know that the cross... Seemingly an obstacle is a stumbling block for the Gentiles, a folly for the Gentiles, stumbling block to the Jews, a scandal to the Jews. That the cross is a seeming obstacle, but it's the means of our salvation. That whenever the different obstacles come, like Eisenhower, taking those obstacles, observing them from different angles, how can this obstacle not become an intimidating demise for me? But how can it be an opportunity for growth in faith? If it's because, if like, you know, we're quarantined, saying, okay, I've always wanted to do a silent retreat. How can I make this opportunity into that? Or there's a lot of people that I haven't kept up in touch with. How can I call those people? Being able to, to adjust, Adjust, not looking directly at the obstacle, letting, us, letting it intimidate us, and not throwing our hands in the air saying that we're helpless, but being creative and not being a victim of circumstance. These obstacles will always come. There's never been a normal. So don't be a victim of circumstance. We need to quit trying to conquer the world by power and start trying to conquer the world through faith. And then the third and last point, and this is planning. Planning. So there's this beautiful parable that I don't think gets talked about enough in the Gospel of Luke. And here it is. Now great multitudes accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? However, whenever otherwise, whenever he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and take counsel whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, who comes again with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and asks terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. A lot of times when we hear this parable, we hear like the very first thing, like, oh, whoever does not hate father or mother, brother or sister, cannot be my disciple. And a lot of priests or deacons get caught up in just kind of apologizing for Jesus, saying, oh, that's not what he meant, you know, and like never go deeper into the parable. And so clearly, let's just say what Jesus is talking about is attachments that, though they may be good, can nevertheless be obstacles. That the obstacles don't just have to be adversities, but the obstacles as well can be attachment. And so what Jesus goes on to say is that we need to count the cost and how foolish it would be for a man to start building a tower and only lays a foundation. Building a tower and only lays the foundation. Again, so often we come to worship and we have all these great platitudes. Lord, I desire joy. I desire peace. I desire the sense of forgiveness. I desire order. The foundation for the tower has been laid. We know what we want. Like saying, like, look, I know what I need to do, but we never do it. And it's because we haven't counted the cost of where our affections lie. It is so important to have a, a logged inventory about where my attention goes Because where my mind goes, will my heart go? And knowing what really captures my heart. Because it's going to be those good things, not just the, ultimately it's going to be those good things and not the bad things that are going to cause me to be fickle in my repentance. A bad thing will cause an obstacle. A good thing is going to be ultimately what I choose instead of God. And so if I know the good things I'm attached to, whether it be social media, whether it be endless hours of TV, whether it be video games, whether it be uh, just like uh, just partying, uh, like partying in order, whether it be just busyness or, or worldly success or anything like that. If I'm aware of what my heart loves, that's good and able to renounce that for Jesus, take an inventory, count the cost, then I am able to make a plan for real conversion. But not only counting where our affections lie, what are the good things that I love, the good things that I know that ultimately I will choose before Jesus. Again, bad things, bad obstacles will not cause us to choose something other than Jesus. It'll be good obstacles that will do that. If I know what that's, that's the case, 
then that's, then that's good. But we also must know our weakness. The second example that Jesus gives, or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and take counsel whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes out against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and asks terms of peace. So this is a king who's trying to send out 10,000 people to men, uh, 10,000 people to war. You have 20,000 people that he's going to fight. Will this king, realizing his weakness, ask for peace? There are some weaknesses that we just all have from the wound of sin. The general original wound of sin, but also how that happens particularly, whether that be from our own sins or from being hurt by another, that there are going to be particular weaknesses that we all have. It's going to be probably a dominant fault that has to do with one of the seven deadly sins. Wrath, avarice, sloth, lust, envy, pride, and gluttony. It's going to be one of those things. And we have to be aware of those weaknesses and not just try to confront them head on. This king in this parable doesn't say, I got 10,000, you got 20,000. Hey, but let's ride. I don't care. We don't have to try to approach our weaknesses head on all the time or else we will be discouraged and we will lose faith. But rather working around those weaknesses. You may have heard me talk about this before. But that if I am naturally generous, but I am also naturally impatient, that my impatience is my weakness, what I can do is use my strength, my generosity, to be generous with my time. If I'm naturally a prideful person, and because of that, I, don't, um, I, I just don't like seeing others uh, praised, but I'm also naturally a generous person, then I can be generous in my praise for others so I can be more tolerant when I hear other people praise them. We need to be able to be aware of our weaknesses. And that if we are aware of our weaknesses, then we can use our strengths to navigate those and let the Lord heal them. The weaknesses are the ways in which the Lord enters through. The Lord offers us a thorn in our side so that uh, he can remain with us and we with him. But we need to not be so insistent on correcting our weaknesses immediately. So often we come to confession and we confess the sins that bother us most, not the sins that bother God most. We're most sorry for the sins that bother us most. And so with all of that, just want to offer some words of encouragement that we truly can conquer the world through faith because the goal is not just to have a memorable college career, or a college career that sets me up for a materially successful life, right? It's not like, it's not like Jesus finishes his gospel and says, and what I will for you, my disciples, is to go out in the world and make fat stacks of cash. You know, that is something that's, that Jesus does not will. What he wills is to go out into the world and make disciples. And so, to turn like the Magi, to turn our mind, to turn our attention back to the Lord by doing that through worshiping him eucharistically 
and using enough intentionality and having enough awareness that when a negative obstacle comes, we can adjust, but also having to plan around the positive obstacles that capture our imagination more than the Lord Jesus does. Then we'll be able to conquer through the, conquer the world through our faith because we conquer with the one who has conquered the world. And so, again, get another grip on our lives. Now, finally, uh, just logistically, I will be hearing confessions during adoration, which we will start in a few minutes. Um, we will go an hour. So you can come to confession at any time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we ask that you can confirm our hearts with living faith, that we can give ourselves over and worship to you, but have the prudence and the awareness to know the obstacles that come outside of our control and have the generosity to offer you the treasures of our heart. We ask this through your mother, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.